welcome to Families for Life with Brian and Brian, a podcast of Oak Hill Baptist Church. On today's episode, we're talking about the nature of the word part three, inerrancy. Welcome back, everybody. Brian, how's it going, man? It's going good. Good. So uh, we've, we've got a really fun topic today. Yeah, don't we? we had a little bit of a break. Yes. We had some technical difficulties, and we got a episode out la- this last week yep. with our pastor. Yeah, if you haven't listened about- to that, you need to go listen to that, especially if you're a part of Oak Hill Baptist Church. You need to go uh, check out what we were talking about. Yeah, I found it really encouraging just to talk about, like, the idea of Christian generosity mm-hmm. and giving. I thought I thought any Christian would benefit from that talk because yeah. Pastor gave some really good, um, just kind of like examples on why we should be generous in spirit and in resources yep. and in time and those types of things. Yeah, it so, all comes down to the gospel. You know, it's like the gospel is true. Therefore. You know, here's some applications that we right. live out. Uh, well, we've been in this series now. We got two episodes. This is our third yes. episode, Nature of the Word. Uh, very excited, a little nervous, I'll be honest, because this is an important topic. You know, inerrancy uh, has been a hotly debated yes. topic, and especially in the last, um, maybe not so much our lifetime, but like leading up to that. Right. But you really have these camps that have kind of settled where. They they believe what they believe about inerrancy and and it's it's troubling. Yes, yeah, it's very important for you know. Sometimes you think it's just not that big of a deal because you know how does this affect my life? Well, we're going to get into that yeah. in this episode, but we do need to talk about what it is and all that sort of stuff. But before we're, we're we, going to present, well, we're going to yes. present our view yes. of inerrancy. We'll present some alternate views, but, yes. but we're going to focus mainly on our view, and it lines up, we believe, with historical Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's a conservative, orthodox, biblical belief system. Right. I, I would say uh, that's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of a words. Lot of words. We'll we'll break a lot of that down. But the the thing about this, we want to make sure our listeners understand is that like we are pastors, um, we are we are theologians. I believe you know technically everyone is a theologian. Everyone has you know thoughts about God, but. But like we do study this stuff, uh, we do think about these things. But we're not we're not the experts on this, okay? And so we we have been consulting and doing a lot of research, Brian. Especially, you've done a lot of research on this particular topic. Well, so of, what are what yeah, are some one, of those? One of the resources, resources we've used for this whole series has yes. been Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, right? And uh, I've been also looking at his lectures at WayneGrudem.com, which line up with his. It's basically him lecturing on his. Book, his, his book, yeah, which yeah. has been great mm-hmm. because he dives in uh, <clears throat> deeper with some like examples and things like that. Uh, there's also Christian Theology by Millard Erickson, which is a great resource. Uh, we've looked at Christian Scripture by David Dockery. Yeah, that's been good. I don't have that one, and uh, you, you know, you've been sharing that with me, and I've been really enjoying that book a lot. So then we've also got Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, love Kevin DeYoung. That's a great. Just small. So, like, if you're like, man, I really want to get in and understand this mm-hmm. this theology of God's word. I don't have a lot of time. Right. 
Kevin DeYoung's books are great for that because yeah. they're always pretty small. You can read this book over a weekend yeah. in a few hours. Yeah. So this would give you a really good, like just, just overview or cursory understanding of all the things that we're talking yeah. about when we talk about the nature of the word. But Kevin DeYoung don't, that doesn't mean that it's not like really good. I mean, right. Kevin DeYoung, he's, he, he knows what he's talking about. I love his stuff. And then, uh, I ref- yeah, what's this? Yeah. I reference table talk magazine. Okay. Specifically yes. volume 39. Number three, March 2015. That one's entitled Inerrancy in the Doctrine of Scripture. Okay. So I read that that particular volume to, um, or that particular, uh, whatever you call it. Yeah, magazine. Magazine yeah. when <laughs> I was looking at this. Gotcha. And I like Table Talk because you can go back and they have, they have discussions and articles mm. on all, a wide range of, of history, theology, um, some of its you know, very practical, yeah. uh, Christian living yeah, table talk magazine. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's, anyway, and it's all online, right? Uh, it, yeah, it yeah. comes in a magazine form if you subscribe right. to it and you can get stuff online. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay. So they, those are some really good resources. We, uh, highly recommend them, but we are going to talk about this because we think it's, we want to make sure, you know, it, it matters for everyone in our everyday lives. And so we want to, we want to bring this to our families. Right. And so what is inerrancy? That's the first big question. What, what are we talking about? Yeah, basically it's the idea that the Bible is presented to us without error. It, it, it comes to us in essence, the perfect word of God, the perfect revelation of God without any error. Yes. So there's no error, you know, like no, no problems, no inaccuracies. It's, it's accurate in everything that it says. Now this can get really complicated. And so, you know, defining inerrancy properly, like what, what do you mean? No errors. Like in what way do we mean it's accurate? Right. Because there are, uh, on the surface, people would look and say, Oh, there's an error or there's a contradiction. So how do you, how do you yeah, what, deal with all that? What exactly do we mean? And this is where uh, David Dockery uh, has done a really good job. He's actually kind of compiled from like Erickson and Feinberg and Geisler, these different uh, theologians. He's brought together a really good, I think, uh, succinct, as succinct as it can be, uh, definition uh, that that really is thorough uh, for what inerrancy is. So do, do you want to read that? Yeah, it says, when all the facts are known, the Bible in its original writings, properly interpreted in light of which culture and communication means had developed by the time of its composition will be shown to be completely true and therefore not false in all that it affirms to the degree of precision intended by the author in all the matters to God and his creation. So, there's got a it? lot that makes sense, right? Yeah, just got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. No, <laughs> we're there's, gonna break this down. A there's little. a lot there. Yes. Okay. So the first thing it says is when all the facts are known. So yeah. what does that mean? Yes. So it, it means we have to understand that we don't know everything, and, and part of this is is important. We, we as humans, yes, we as don't humans know don't know everything. Uh, and so as we look back in the past, as we look at history and and scripture, we have to understand there. are there are things that we just do not know. In fact, you know, we learn things all the time, and the Bible has been proven to be a reliable source, not only for spiritual truth, but scientific and historical data. Yeah, we gave a great example that last week where we talked about the uh, city of Jericho. Right. Where, yes. it, was, where it was found, uh, the dating of it. 
you know, it's one of those things that that took a long time to discover, but the Bible was proved true and right once all the facts were known. Yes. So, so there are things that we're still learning about history that we still just don't know. I mean, that's just the way that, you know, you, you talk about whenever people come up and say, you know, this many number of years ago, this thing happened. I'm like, you, you don't actually know that. And, and in 10, 15 years, there's going to be a new theory as to when this happened, how it happened. So yeah. we're still learning. Well, stuff. science evolves all the time. Right. And we learn, you know, what, what they said about science 50 years ago has been disproven and right. something else has been proven today. Exactly. Now the Bible we know has it's, been affirmed yep. in all that it states uh, throughout time and history. Yeah. And so then the second thing is the Bible in its original writing. So we know that the text that is truly inerrant is the original text However, we know through the work of the Spirit, the text has been preserved. And even though there are very, very minor errors, very few copying errors, where um, a word, maybe in the Greek, they have these um, different, like, mm-hmm. I forget I forget exactly what it's called, but um, they have these... Of my head, I can't remember, yeah. Yeah, they have these different marks. And so mm-hmm. uh, maybe a, a copy has accidentally put a mark here, and that changed the word. Yes. But then you can go back and you can look at thousands of other texts and say, Oh, that, that was, it a was an accident. Yeah. Error. The, 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 yes. The person who was copying it made a mistake, but we have, we have the correction. Right. So it's not like we don't know where those mistakes were made. Right. Um, you know, we, we, we see that all the time. And that's, that's the thing that I want, I want to actually read this really quick as we continue in this, you know, this is biblical. We're not just making this up because I love it's Matthew 24, 35, where Jesus is speaking and he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so we believe this because it's biblical, but but also because of of the evidence that we see in it as well. And that's what we see here in the original writings. When it was originally written, it was it was perfect. It was it was true. Yeah. Um, and so there are some things, and that's why, like in my Bible, and even in my footnotes, there are places where it's like, you know, there are early manuscripts that omit this word or that word. Right. But that's just showing that, hey, you know, the manuscripts, this particular manuscript was, you know, messed up, but all the other manuscripts helped us see that what we actually have. Right. And in the English, scripture. you know, it if you go back, Greek is much different than English. Yes. And I think any seminary student that studies Greek would affirm that wholeheartedly. Uh, and there are, you know, one one change of a of a letter or a symbol uh, can change the entire the meaning of the word. Yeah, right. the sentence structure and everything. And right. so, really, when we interpret these things, we are relying a lot on Greek scholarship and mm-hmm. Hebrew scholarship as well. Yes, to understand how to translate these things properly. Yeah, and so I think that's important. But then also that that brings us to the next point, the mm-hmm. next part of the definition. Properly interpreted in light of which culture and communication means had developed by the time of its composition. I would say proper interpretation is everything. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yes, absolutely. And this is, I have a a pet peeve. I I really get frustrated when people are like, well, that's just your interpretation. And it's like, well, yes, uh, but that just means that your interpretation is just as possibly wrong if that's how you take it there is a proper interpretation mm-hmm. there is a a meaning that was desired by the author when they wrote well the text. every time we look at literature 
uh, we have certain rules that we interpret exactly. literature by all, all historical literature, all spiritual literature, well, anything, interpret any liter, any type of writing. Right. Yeah. And so we have to read it in context. Yes. We, you know, where the Bible says, uh, there is no God. Right. But if you read it in context, it says the fool says in his heart, yes. there is yeah, no exactly. God. Yes. So, oh, the Bible says there is no God. No, no you're not reading it in context. context. That's important. Yeah, context His, is key. Yeah, historical exactly. understanding. Mm-hmm. What is the author's intent? Man. What is the understanding of genre? Yes. There's all these hermeneutical issues that come into play that we have to play by the, the interpreting rules. It, that was the, the, to me, hermeneutics, that's the word for the study of the science and art of interpretation. Okay. Um, I, when I, when I first studied that, it, it made the Bible make so much sense when I realized like, oh, I'm not interpreting this properly. I'm right. not using context. I'm not using history. I'm not using the fact that this is a poem and not a letter. I'm not using those truths to understand what the author means. And now that I know that, I know what the Bible is saying. Right. It it, it was an amazing yeah, reality. Yeah, you don't interpret in the gospels, you don't interpret a parable the same way you interpret a narrative. Exactly. And we have to know the difference because there are different sets of rules and how we interpret those. Yep. That's, and that's, that's so important. And so finally, you know, it is complete with all of those things said, the Bible is completely true and therefore not false in everything that it affirms to the degree of precision intended by the author in all matters to God and his creation. And that's the thing, you know, the Bible is true in everything that it is affirming. The Bible says things sometimes that it's not affirming, kind of like what you said about, uh, you know, there is no God. But really, the Bible is saying the fool says that there is no God. Right, right. So it's affirming that there is a God, right? right. Yeah. And we and we understand that this truth is to, when we talk about to the precision, for instance, let me give you a perfect example. When the Bible says uh, so-and-so had 2,000 troops, yeah. Right. Did that literally mean 2000? You know, when we talk in our numbers and we say, uh, oh, we had <clears throat> we had 300 people in attendance at church. Right. It could be 296. Right. It could be 305. Yes. Am I wrong in saying that there were 300 people at church? No, because I'm not giving you a precise number. Yeah. I'm giving you an estimation and we both in our language would understand, would understand that. what I'm saying. Well, and, and we, in and our so in modern Bible, time, we would, I mean, for our church attendance, we right. do try to count as accurately as possible, but we just had an event, you know, we just had an event right. over uh, at our North campus. How many people were there? 400 people, you know, exactly 400 people. Well, no, right. you know that I'm not trying to say that, right. You know, so, so that's the Bible the may say that there's 2000 soldiers but what it might mean is there's 2,132 mm-hmm. or there's 1,956. Now, there are some precise uh, numbers in the in Bible, that. but then there's also estimations. And so it's what is the author's intent in precision and w- what are they trying to convey? Are they just trying to give you an estimation, an idea, or are they giving you an exact number? And that's just one example of where people kind of nitpick the truth of right, the Bible. Right. And that's exactly the point I was making in like, how many people were at church this Sunday? Well, we have accurate numbers like right. to the head that, that we've counted, right? How many people were at this event? Well, we think it was around this much. Right. You know. Well, let me give you another example. The Bible talks about the sun rising and the yes. sun setting and say, oh no, the sun doesn't rise and the sun doesn't <laughs> set. The earth rotates on its axis and the sun oh. is stationary. 
Yes, we know that's true. But when you wake up and you hear the weather forecast, right. and he says the sunrise today will be at six forty-seven, and yeah. sunset will be. Do you do you think in your mind that meteorologist is an idiot? Yeah, no, he yeah. doesn't know that the Earth rotates on its axis. <laughs> no, what we perceive from yes. our eyes, we understand and, and, what he means. Right, what we perceive is that the sun is rising and the mm-hmm. sun is setting. Yeah, that's from our perception. Right. That's from what we are viewing. Uh, as we're as we're seeing it, as we're reporting it, and so I think we have to understand the author uh, in that in that instance is not intending to give us a science lesson. Yeah, he's intending to say what he sees: the sunrise and the sunset. And so I think those are just a couple of examples to where we see the author's intent and the precision to the degree of what they're trying to affirm. Yes, and so there's we have to. Understand when you read different parts of the Bible, the 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 author is is you know what's the context, what is the point that they're making, what are they really trying to say, and that is so important. I didn't realize that for a long time. I thought that it was like, what does this mean to me, sort of thing. Um, and uh, and once you realize, like, yeah, there is application for my life, but really, like, what does this mean? What yeah. did he mean when he wrote this? That is what we're talking about is well, true. And Brian, this, this issue has divided Christians for a long time. It's really ramped up in the last hundred years mm-hmm. or so, especially in America. Um, so that's why we need to understand uh, Christians need to understand this theologically, yeah. but then we need to understand why this is so important. Yes, it, it is very important. You know, the, the inerrancy of the word isn't Technically, like you don't find the word inerrancy in the Bible, right? The Bible does not say the Bible is inerrant, but well, and there's it an does argue- say what what I read in, in Matthew 20, uh, right. 24, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Yeah, we use this term as a helpful, um, you know, it's just, just a way to help us understand yes. this. You know, the Bible never says Trinity. Right. It right. never says incarnation. Yes. But these are helpful words that that put together the, the the theology of the Bible. Yes. And help us to understand these concepts. And yeah. so if someone says, well, inerrancy is not in the word in the Bible, the concept of inerrancy is in the Bible. Yes. It's, and it's it's, it's a belief that's really based on the character of God. So if if God is God, who's the one true and living God, the faithful Lord, that says you can trust him, that you can believe in him, that he does not lie, there is no falsehood in him, then we have to believe his revelation to us. This is a theological point here. You know, we're making a, an argument about about who God is, right? Because if this is God's word, God saying this stuff, then it reflects, like you said, his character. And so the question is, is God truthful or not? You know, this is where if if you deny inerrancy, you, you're able to then deny the truthfulness of God and say, basically, you know, when, when God says, you know, when the Bible says God cannot tell a lie, well, is that true or not? Um, well, now we don't know anymore if we, right. if we deny inerrancy, if we think that the Bible is, has error, you don't know what's true anymore. So it's theologically important to us, right? Yes. Exactly. And how our, and how we believe. And then that, that really goes to how our faith is lived out, right? You know, because listen, if if the Bible's not true, if God's character is not uh, perfect, then I can live however I want. I can live by my own standard, and so theologically, this idea of inerrancy has a huge significance on our belief. I dare say it's one of the most important because if if this is eroded, if yes. you can start saying there's error. In God's word, I can't trust this part. Then 
can you trust this part? Well, that's you know that's it, what it, we see all the time with, especially in in the sexual ethic of people these days. You see that all over the place, where where the argument doesn't come down to it. It, it ends up coming down to uh, well, does the Bible? And, and this is what gets me. It's the same question that Satan, that the serpent asked Eve in the very beginning. Did God really say that? I mean, that's what inerrancy really comes down to. Right. It's the first thing. It's the first temptation. Did God really say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is why this is so big. Well, I think throughout history, people have wrestled with this. Um, there's a there's not just a theological importance. There's a historical importance. And really, until modern times, it's it's sort of been a presupposition. Now I know you can trace back, um, you know, some heretics and some other people that have said some crazy things, but but it wasn't like widely spread, right? <clears throat> right. Even to the time of Jerome, uh, to the time of Augustine and Jerome, you know, Jerome was having a really big problem with Peter being wrong when he ate with the Gentiles, mm. right? Or I'm sorry, ate with the Jews and refused oh, yes. to eat with, the, with Gentiles. the Gentiles. Yeah. In Galatians Jerome too. was have Jerome was trying to save Peter's reputation and saying, well, maybe he wasn't wrong. In do- and Paul was really wrong in trying to cast him as a, as somebody who was doing something wrong. Hmm. You know, we'd see that in Galatians chapter two. Yeah. Well, Augustine wrote back to him and he said in a series of letters that they wrote back and forth, which yeah. wouldn't that have been so cool to be <laughs> a fly on the wall when Augustine and Jerome, two writing, yeah. early church fathers are kind of writing. They're basically like the, er, the first text messages, you right. know, like about theology. <laughs> and so Augustine said, I have learned to yield this respect and honor only to the canonic, the conic canonical books of scripture of these alone do i most firmly believe that the authors were completely free from error if in writing these i am perplexed by anything which appears to be opposed to truth i do not hesitate to dispose that either the manuscript is faulty or the translator has not caught the meaning of what was said and i myself have failed to understand it so he's saying basically what we what we were affirming earlier that any supposed errors are not errors from the Lord, but because we are not translating it properly and right. we need to subject ourselves under the authority of the word first and then see these problems get worked out. Yeah. And it's really, you know, one of the things we talked about before we started recording is this idea of faith seeking understanding. Right. right. Luther also has something to say on this topic. Yeah. He says the scriptures have never erred. The scriptures cannot err. It is certain that scripture, the scriptures would not contradict itself. It only appears so to the senseless and obdurate hypocrites. Yeah, that's his uh the famous Luther and I love tact Luther. There. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, basically his like had none. only idiots think this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so I mean this is just a couple exam- of examples that um church history has affirmed inerrancy. Yes. You know, really though, in the last uh, hundred years it's it's been a debate. It's really heated up, really in in the '60s and the '70s. But but you know, you mentioned that in Europe they had their own yes. problem with this in the late 1800s. Yeah, right? Spurgeon dealt with something that's often called the downgrade controversy, where essentially there was they call it the downgrade or a downgraded view of scripture, mm-hmm. right? So they stopped seeing scripture with this high view of of inerrancy, and and Spurgeon preached against that, and he got kicked out of some of his uh uh the organizations that he was a part mm-hmm. of uh and he was like the most prolific preacher almost of 
I mean, some would say of all time, you know, <laughs> Prince so, of Preachers. The yeah. Prince of Preachers. So, you know, it made its way over to America. And really in the, the 20s and 30s, there was the modernist and the fundamentalist. And there was a huge split in the Presbyterian church over this. And it, this actually uh, went on to the, the conservatives, the fundamentalists that came out of this that yeah. believed the word was inerrant went on to start uh, groups like Zondervan as a publishing house. They went on to start Fuller Seminary. Other things like that cropped up because they held to the view of inerrancy. But but the another reason why this is so important is because of, of something that you were, were talking about, uh, Brian. You know, Grudem, who we rely on, went to Fuller Seminary, which yes. you just st- said was started as, as a conservative, like trying to uphold the inerrancy of the word. But just just some years after they started with that intention, they started denying an error. Right. In the 60s, they took out of their statement of faith the the words that they that a professor had to hold to inerrancy. And so yeah. when Grudem went to seminary, he was taught that um, you, you the, that there were errors in the Bible, but that was okay because the intent and the meaning was still yeah. there and you could still believe what God wanted you to get out of it, but even though there were these errors. And that's a view we'll talk about here in a little bit, but you know, it, it heated up and it, and it, and it went on, you know, you think about, uh, even in our own denomination, the Southern Baptist, yeah. we, we, we fought for, uh, really the basis of the Bible and what yeah. the Bible stands for back in the eighties and yeah. the nineties. Yeah. And we had to reclaim our seminaries There's a thing called from the this view conservative resurgence right. in the Southern Baptist convention. And, uh, and that's, that's why, you know, today the Southern Baptist convention is so strongly biblical is because we fought against this, uh, push against an What's interesting is, you know, you think about the Presbyterians and especially the ones that are of the more liberal, you know, mainline Protestant, you think mm-hmm. about Presbyterian USA and yeah. stuff like that. And ever since they went away from the inerrancy of God's word, there's been a, a, decline, a decline into deep liberalism and heresy. Yeah. And, and you just Which, look, you can trace the history back to that very belief. And, and it's so tempting because and this, again, why is this important? It's so tempting to deny the inerrancy of scripture because it, you think, well, if, if I just say, if I just let this go, like if I just let go, like where they're talking, you know, was there a talking serpent in the beginning of the Bible? If I just let that go, then people will be able to believe this more easily. But that doesn't work like that, and that's the point you're making. Their their congregations are in decline. They're they're dying because because it doesn't actually hold any value. If right. you don't believe in inerrancy, then it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, well, this is so important that the Evangelical Theological Society, which was founded in uh, 1949, had one theological statement for a really long time. I think they've added one since then. But their one to be a member of the ETS. You had to pay your membership dues, obviously, mm, yeah, but yeah. you had to affirm one statement mm. that you believe the word of God was inerrant. Mm. Think about that for just a second. Yeah. You could believe all kinds of other things. You could have a different view of, um, you know, the end times. Time, yeah. You could have a different view of old earth, new earth. I mean, you could have all kinds of, of different views. You could even be, have different views of the roles of men and women in ministry. Wow. But the one view you had to affirm was that God's word was inerrant. Inerrant. That's how important this was. Yeah. And it is. It's the foundation, you know? So uh, this also has, this is a, this is a big word, epistemological importance. Right. Right. This is the idea that uh, knowledge, the knowledge of the Bible, the truths of the Bible 
that are put forth are are right and true and and this is why it's so important yeah epistemology is the study of how you know what you know right, right? it's the study of how Knowledge. to know things mm-hmm. and so the the idea here is, is is if you don't have this this foundation uh and that's you know jesus talking about uh the 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 person who builds their life on what he says is like the person who builds their house on the rock. Right. And so you have this foundation that will not fall because you, you have a sure knowledge. Right. And this is where the Bible is attacked in the most, the most ways for its errors. When people that are scientific or historically minded, they tear apart the Bible for seemingly contra- the contradictions or the errors in that they their they see, field yeah. of study. Right. Right. Yeah. The problem is when we pull one brick out of the wall, when we say, oh, okay, well, we can say that's an error, but everything else is true. Right. Once you pull that brick out of the wall, all the other bricks are a little bit shaky and can the whole wall can fall down. That's right. Right. Yeah. And so I think we have to understand that. We're not dealing with theological issues all the time, but these ideas will creep over to theological issues. Once we start to say, well, this error is okay, how do we know that error isn't okay? How do we know this is true? How do we know this is true? And we go back and forth looking at all the things and we end up in theological things. And so, yes, I do affirm a belief that God will prove his word to be true, given the proper time and knowledge. Just like we talked about on the previous episode with the city of Jericho. Jericho. We already mentioned that. That's just a great example. That's such a good one. And so this shows us why this belief is so important. Yep. We hold this belief because so much of our faith, I mean, like literally everything that you believe in orthodoxy, the way you live is based on whether or not the Bible is, is actually true. I think we have to stop and ask ourselves, Every one of us, every Christian, do we believe that this is God's revelation to us, that it is perfect and and it is it, it is God's word inerrant it's, to it's us? It's true, yeah, yeah. And I think we have to decide that. So, And that really is a big decision because if you don't make that decision, then you might assume that you're living that way. But when you ask yourself, and really when we evaluate our lives— that's the evaluation because mm-hmm. we're we're standing we're using the bible as a true standard of what life should be like right, right. right well and i think now we've come to the point to where there is not just a you affirm it inerrancy or you don't affirm it we mm-hmm. have varying views that have come out over the last several years uh, you even have a book that i looked at briefly but there was too much to read yeah, there yeah that was the viewpoints of inerrancy, the yeah. different the different viewpoints, and so we can summarize. Well, we get, yeah, we can summarize this from Erickson. You know, there's a viewpoint called absolute inerrancy, and really, on a at first blush, this sounds great right. to us. But this is just kind of blindly accepting every part of God's word is literally true, even the scientific, the historical data. And if there's a question, God always wins out. That you're not even really making arguments to resolve conflicts. You're saying. Uh, well, oh, well, there's a conflict and I believe God's word over anything else. Right. It, it, I think the way I understand this one, this absolute inerrancy, it's not because we we agree. Yes, the we accept every part of God's word is true. The, the thing is, it does not take into account the um, genres, you know, so like right. if if in poetry, uh, it's certain parts of like Psalms or Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, it says certain things that are poetic language. 
it would be like, yep, yeah, no, that's literally true. Well, there, it's not the nuance. It's literally true. It's not allowing for the nuance of interpretation and literary discussions to go on. And so that's why we end up thinking that I believe full inerrancy is the right view. You move from, from absolute inerrancy to a full inerrancy, which is still, I mean, that's believing yeah. every part of God's word is true and perfect, but it's, uh, it does not primarily, the, the Bible does not primarily aim to give us scientific and historical data, even though when it does, yes, it's, it's assertions are completely true. And that's, but, yeah, that goes back to the, what, what is the author trying to affirm here? You right. know, there's times where like, for instance, with genealogies, like is the author trying to affirm the amount of years that took place between this person's genealogy and, and that person's genealogy, or is the Bible trying to affirm the actual family well, lineage? It's like when we, we're very specific and we would say my son or mm-hmm. my grandson or my great grandson or my great, great grandson. But right. here's the thing in the Bible, they use son. So yeah. like in three or four generations that would, in the Bible, that would still be my son. Right. And so they, they have a, a very, um, it's it's like that's the way they recorded their 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 historical data, that's, and so yes. if we look at it from our perspective, right. we're not going to understand what they mean, and we're going to think there's an error. Oh, they're off by yeah. three hundred years. No, like they no. didn't list everyone in the lineage. Yeah, if we were able to talk to the author and be like, "What? Why did you make this mistake?" The author would look at us and be like, "What are you talking what about? Mistake? Yes. Yeah, what are you talking about? That's not what I'm saying." Um, so yeah, that's full inerrancy. Is there more to that? No, I think that's I think that's good. This is where I would believe Grudem would line up yeah. under this full inerrancy, and we we try to resolve conflicts. Once again, if if there's not a good resolution, we're not gonna we're not gonna contort right. and do this mental gymnastics to make something fit. We're gonna understand that God's not given us all of the yeah. knowledge. Well, and we're to gonna understand get, it. We're gonna get to kind of how right. we deal with the, some of those errors and just a, you know supposed errors right. in just a minute. But then there's limited inerrancy. Yeah, right? that's where the Bible is inerrant and infallible for salvific doctrinal references. Okay, so it's like every the the assertions of the Bible that are scientific and historical uh, might not be true, but but what the Bible is trying to say about salvation and and theology is true. Yeah, when they when it asserts a scientific or historical uh, data, it was current and right for the people at the time, but it may not be true for modern advances. So basically, you're saying the Bible is there and it's good and right and true for for uh, biblical. Live, you know, moral living, moral living, yeah, salvation, all this stuff. But you're you're saying it doesn't have to be true on all of the other stuff. Yeah, uh, and this one we would you know reject because we would say no, the Bible is still true. The the Bible, what they're affirming. What's funny is anytime these arguments are made, and then after like Jericho, I mean, whenever enough information is found out historically about something, it it turns out that what they were saying was true. Right. What they were trying, what the mm-hmm. biblical author was originally intending to say was yeah. true. And there's another view of this called inerrancy of purpose, which, you know, basically God is only communicating. Uh, it, it's kind of a nuanced view and it's mm-hmm. just God is communicating truth only to give people information and bring them to a personal, personal relationship. relationship with Jesus. Yeah. There's lots of these views where they kind of, 
they kind of say, well, the Bible doesn't have to be inerrant because its purpose is X. Right. And if you just hold on to its purpose, you can you can kind of excuse the errors of the Bible is right. what they would say. Right. Which we would say, no, that 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 doesn't really work out because uh, then you have to ask yourself, like, how do we know if those errors are there? Then how do you know that what it's saying about salvation is true? Right. Right. And you then you can't. And then finally, there's just kind of these other views where they basically reject inerrance, inerrancy for the favor of in favor of the Bible and its truth being human revelation. Basically, yeah. the Bible is us, and we can have these errors. And there are various people that would say, "Oh, the Bible has lots of errors. Who cares?" Or there's people that would say, "The Bible has lots of errors. Therefore, we reject it." You know, right. there's there's even a scale in in those with, within in those that views, too. Yeah, we can kind of lump these together because. Um, they basically reject a view right. of inerrancy. Of inerrancy, yeah. They don't. They don't find it inerrant at all. They so, think. how do we deal with these apparent errors, Brian? What you know? There's different approaches to even with how people deal with these. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, even as you see the different uh, things that we were just talking about, the different views of inerrancy, you kind of already see some of the ways that you deal with the errors. So, like the first one would be this kind of abstract approach where. Basically, the errors, uh, the supposed, these are supposed errors, we, we would say supposed errors, don't need to be explained. It's just, you just believe what the Bible says, mm-hmm. and you don't have to understand anything, you don't have to explain anything. And and the hard thing about this is that uh, this is really not um, convincing to an unbeliever. You know, right. somebody who doesn't believe, it, you're just, you just tell them, well, just believe anyways. And it's like, well, I don't understand anything that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Let, let so. me give you a perfect example of why this doesn't really work is because in one of the gospels, Jesus tells his disciples as he sends them out to don't take sandals. Yeah. Then in another gospel, he says, take sandals. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, you, you like, wait, there's a, there's a contradiction there. Yeah. So you can't really have an abstract approach because if you do, you're just, you're just, you're just basically well, saying, I'm not going to account for yeah. these contradictions. I'm not even going to try to resolve them. I'm just going to say that it is the way it is because that's the way God wanted. Yeah. It. It's basically like, don't think about it. Don't ask questions. Like just, just do, just believe it. Yeah. I don't think that's helpful when we talk about trying to, um, when we think about like, trying to help people understand when we're no. trying to defend the faith, you know, exactly. we're trying to do apologetics. The, it's just not helpful. It, the Bible tells us to, to have answers to, to be ready with winsome reasons right. to, to these things. So, so we know that that's not the right way. So there's, then there's we another move approach. to the harmonistic approach, which is inerrancy is based on the teaching of inspiration and supposed errors are simply difficulties that can be explained and resolved using currently available information. So, you know, one example of this would be, um, we think about the death of Judas. Mm -hmm. One gospel says Judas hanged himself. Right. One gospel says he fell headlong into a field and his guts burst Burst open. open. Yeah. (laughs) Um, how do we, how do we harmonize that? How do we resolve that, that difficulty? Yeah. So the idea is understanding that both of these accounts are true. Could they, yes. And and they're coming from different perspectives. Could they have not both have happened? Right. You think about this. How are they both true? Think about this. You're arriving on the scene and one of your friends, the disciples has, is in a field, lying in a field with his 
guts burst, burst open, open. Yeah. and you see this man is obviously dead. Right. You identify that it's Judas and you're like, what happened? Well, one gospel writer may have just wrote down what he saw when he got there. Mm-hmm. The other gospel writer may have done some more investigation and said, oh no, he, he hung himself. Look at this rope that's, that's on the tree how he right died. here. Yeah, exactly. Both of the accounts are true. He possibly had hung himself mm-hmm. and, and, and the definition of what hanging actually means may right. come into question, but he hung himself, uh, whether it was on a tree uh, by a, a rope, spike on a spike, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he fell. Right. And then he, you know, you know, we know when a body yeah. gets, starts decomposing, it fills up with gases and mm-hmm. he burst open. Right. So could both of those things have not been true, but from different perspectives of the different authors. Right. And so we, we, those, that's one approach that I think you and I um, are definitely lean towards um and then there's which you know we would we would say we we want to do that with anything that we find in scripture that seems to be a contradiction or an error but then there's this other one that is called a moderate harmonization so so it's similar it it, the difference is it, it the problems are taken seriously like even more seriously and an effort is made to solve them or relieve the difficulties of of the supposed problem as far as is reasonably possible with the data so basically you're trying to solve the problem but you don't force anything and you don't just say you don't just kind of make up um accounts to to try to make the problem go away. Yeah, we can we can get really contorted in our in our views and yeah. trying to um resolve these conflicts. Um and so we have to be careful. And so what we say is when there's not data or we don't have enough data, we would just say that's that's something that we is to be resolved. And that's again, I, I and, and you know, we keep talking about the Jericho situation where where they, you know, didn't think Jericho existed and then they found it, you know. Um, that's, that's kind of the thing where you might have to come to a point where you say, well, I, I don't know Mm -hmm. because I don't have all the facts. Right. Um, but that's where then we would say with this view, but I still trust the Lord and I know it's true. I just don't know how yet. Right. I just don't know how. And I think with both the harmonizations, you know, we, we have to, we have to just think really, you know, we have to think really scholarly in a sense to kind of understand some of these things. And some of them are, are pretty easy. We talk about, we gave the example of Jesus says, take sandals, don't take sandals. Right. Well, when we read all of the gospel accounts, uh, we understand that Jesus was saying, don't take extra. You, you, there's a, there's a extra third sandals. gospel. There's a third gospel account where Jesus is saying, don't take extra sandals. Mm-hmm. Don't take uh, your, your extra staff or your extra tunic. And so one account could be saying, take sandals, mm-hmm. okay, but take take one, right. take your sandals you have on you, right. where one is saying, don't take sandals. And what he's meaning is don't take extra sandals. Exactly. They're wearing sandals. They're wearing a tunic. All of the three gospel accounts really are meaning the same thing. That's right. But they're coming at it from a different perspective. Yes. And I think that's, you know, that's where people um, are trying to kind of, and I hate to call it nitpicking because these are true contradictions, but once we study them and know them, some of them are just so easy. Like, uh, one gospel writer accounts when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. And one says, the devil said, turn these stones to bread. Mm -hmm. And then one says, turn that stone to bread. Right. Well, we actually are getting the account from Jesus and we get three 
instances of really a much bigger conversation. Right. So could one gospel writer not have accounted one part of the conversation that Jesus is recounting and saying, yeah, the devil told me, turn these stones to bread. And then later on in the conversation, he said, turn that stone to bread. You know, he got very specific Specific with that one stone. And so it's like, we get a little snapshot of that larger conversation because he was Jesus was in the wilderness for forty days. Right, right. So it was a long period of time. My thing is, are these these are legitimate questions? Okay, like it's good to say, hey, I see this. You know, like for instance, the genealogies of Christ. Like, well, this one says these names, and this one says these names. What what's going on here? And that is a legitimate and good question. And what we do is we apply our faith and we seek understanding and and we grow in our faith. And when we do that, what I can't stand is when you have I've heard I've heard a serious uh, scholar one time say things. He was talking about David and Goliath, and he was talking about how in the account of David and Goliath, it said that David went up to Goliath and he had no sword. David had no sword, and he goes and he slings a stone and kills Goliath. And he goes up to Goliath after Goliath had fallen down, and he draws his sword. And the person goes, oh, "See, there's there's an a, there's a, a an error an error there." And I'm like, "That is the dumbest thing," because. He drew Goliath's sword. Well, do you think the events all happened within seconds of one another? Or could, yeah, could he not have drawn Goliath's sword? Could he have not, somebody not brought him a sword? You know, I mean, yeah. there's all kinds of things that could have happened there where we don't, we're getting a historical account, but so much of the day, we're not getting like, uh, well, at, at 6:53 the sun rose right. and david yeah. was wearing a red tunic with with strapped sandals we're not getting every detail that's happening yeah. in the story we're getting a summation of the story yeah. so it's just like in a news article when you read a news article you don't get every single detail some of the some of the uh things you're making a logical conclusion with the facts that are given it's, to that, you that is exactly what i'm getting at and and, and really it's, brian it's it's how we approach the scriptures it's are we approaching it with a from a positive point of view to right. say these things uh, are I'm going to trust God's word and find a resolution for these things, or am I going at it with a skeptic's eye and saying I'm going to try to disprove God's word? Right. Yeah, I'm just trying. I'm just out to to prove them wrong. It really comes down to a bias against it or a willingness to to see if it's true. Right. Two more views, real quickly, is limited inspiration meaning that uh, Erickson says inspiration only guarantees accurate reproduction of the sources the scripture writer employed, not correction of them. So if there's an error, it was given by the author at the time from what they knew, but it doesn't negate God's word. Once again, I think this is sort of a half measure. Yeah. And this goes right along with the idea that you can accept errors, but still believe the content of what God is saying. I would argue that it, it's going to be hard for people to do that. An example of this is like people would say, well, when the Hebrew authors are writing about like the firmament in the sky, like that was a a well, that was a common belief of the Middle Eastern people at that time. And so they were writing something they believed to be true, um, even though it happened to just be scientifically false. And it's like, Okay, like that's yeah, you're right. That's basically a comp out, and so that that instead of really... us trying to understand there there was a scientific phenomenon happening, yes, and they're explaining it from by, a, from a, from their, from their perspective, perspective right. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the last one is that they people simply believe that the Bible does have errors, like it just is wrong in places, and get over it, and so yeah, um, or or just stop believing it, which is you know what a lot of people do. 
Right. And I just don't know how you can develop a biblical theology or religion when you know there are errors and inaccuracies of something. I mean, you know, I remember a few years ago, there was a guy who went on uh, Oprah and he had this best selling uh, book. I forget what his name was, but there was a best selling uh, book that he had put out. And then it came out a, a little bit ago or a little bit after that, that the stuff he had in the book, he had conveyed as truths. But mm. really, fiction. Really, he had made up a bunch of stories. Oh, yeah, I've heard and about passed that. it off as things that really happened to him. Right now, there would have been nothing wrong if he would have said on the front end, "I made this story up. It's fiction. This all didn't really happen to me. It's yeah. based on my life." But what did he say? This happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so I have a problem with that because you read that and you're like, "This was presented to you under." false pretenses. pretenses. And so if the Bible is presented to us under false pretenses, I have a big problem with that. Well, Paul, you know, I, I, th- I love Paul's, uh, uh, truthfulness here where he says, listen, if Jesus hasn't come back from the dead, then like we're all to be pitied the most, like basically this is pointless. And I think that that, that's a similar understanding here is like, listen, if God's word isn't true, then like, what the heck are we doing here? Right. That's, that's kind of the point. And, and honestly, like if, if I were, I will never be convinced that the Bible is not true because I've, I've just, I've just read it too much to. to well, I, we, I, I, it's true. We're I, on I the just, other side of salvation where we have been saved, we've been redeemed, right. we understand and know not only by the testimony of Scripture, by the scholarly work that's been done, but but personally in our lives, we've seen the Scriptures come alive and and change our lives. It's, it's been just, confirmed. It's confirmed. Yeah. Uh, that's a good way to put and it. And so. But if if I were not confirmed, if it were not confirmed to me, man, I'd live a totally different life. Right. I would. So wh- what are the problems if we deny inerrancy? Grudem had a great list here that I thought was really helpful for us. The first one, he said that it, it really gives us serious moral problems because the Bible tells us to, for instance, to imitate God. Yes. So we're to uh, imitate God, but then if God can lie to us, even in small yeah. areas, then am I allowed to lie also? Right. Yeah. Be holy as I am holy. Oh, okay. Well, if, if, you know, if you just like do whatever you want and it's all, it's all for personal gain, then, well, then I can do that too. And if know? God lied about this little small thing, how do you know he's not lying about something bigger? This, this is a slippery slope into further sin. So I just, I just believe that it causes a serious moral problems. Yeah. That's my whole point is like, I would just live a totally different life if it weren't true. Um, the second one is that we begin to wonder if we can really trust God, anything he says, which is kind of the same thing, but, but it takes it, really it a, takes it a step takes further, a further uh, where you just, you just have to start doubting everything. You know, you, you really have to become a, a skeptic of scripture, which then pours into every part of your life. Yeah, I wrote, I asked the question, then can we really believe God when he says he knows where we're going when we die? Yeah. Can we really believe Jesus when he says, I go to prepare a, prepare a place for you? The little things if they're not true, really end up causing questions on the big things. That's right. And really the whole the whole gospel account comes into question. Yeah. And so the third one, this is the big one for me, is that if if we deny inerrancy, then we essentially make our own human minds a higher standard of truth than God's word itself. Mm-hmm. This is to me the fundamental problem with with humanity, okay? This is where Satan comes and he says, did God really say this? And you say, well, yeah, I think so. And then he says, are you sure? And you go, yeah, I guess I, I don't believe that anymore. That's what the fall is. That's what, that's how sin happens. Yeah. 
is when, when we don't believe God's word. When anymore. we become judges of right and wrong, it's it's really it really is bad. We um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can disobey whatever we deem to be false. That's we don't like you know, and this is where this is where some of the liberal theology. Because I remember they had um, the, the the Jesus conference, I think it was called. I can't remember, and they were deciding on what statements Jesus said and what he yes, didn't say. Yes. And they would they would vote with these colored beads, and and one bead would be um, red, and one bead would be gray, and one bead would be black. And so, if you believed Jesus said this, you would have it as red. And if you weren't sure, you would do gray. And if you if you knew he didn't say this, then it would be black. And what ended up happening was, all of the teachings that were religious or moralistic, they believed. Right. But then they didn't believe anything that was like miraculous, uh, miraculous, or anything. Or, or anything that um, had any sort of like controversy or anything. Mm. They, they just said, Jesus didn't say that. And so we're now judging scripture based on how we feel about this topic instead of letting scripture inform our lives. Well, and we're really, we're really saying what is true and what is not true. And that's what we see today in gross. I mean, it is, it is amazing how, how clearly people are denying real obvious reality like i mean guys you know we i i joke with the students but i'm not joking when i say uh i tell the ladies ladies uh we are men you know i, talk, I look at the guys and i say we are men we cannot have children you yeah know, like in in our day and age people it's argue against that yeah it's controversial mm -hmm. because we think we know better than god well the heart of man is sinful the heart of man is deceitful. We will, if we look inward to our own heart without, without having a redeemed heart, without having the redemption right. of Christ, a new, uh, creation, we yeah. will see that there is truly evil in us yes. and we will always seek to rebel against God. Yeah. That's why we I need mean, that's just the gospel. Been, <laughs> yeah. That's just been proven over and over by human nature. Yeah. And so the last thing is. Uh, if the Bible is not inerrant, then we must also say the Bible is wrong, not only ma minor details, but also some of its doctrines as well. And, you know, we, we've we really alluded to this. Yeah. The snowball starts rolling. And listen, Brian, there's been enough time with enough denominations that we've seen once this doctrine is denied. Yeah. Well, we're just denying inerrancy. We, we can't affirm inerrancy because of these minor details. Right. But then what happens? Ten 20, 30, 40 years later, it's not minor details anymore. It's major doctrinal issues that right. they're denying. Right. You know, how can there be an Episcopal minister named John Shelby Spong that denies the virgin birth, the uh, resurrection, all of the miraculous events? How can a guy like that be, even call himself an Episcopal minister? How can it be a man of the cloth and yet deny all of the foundational doctrines of our faith? Well, think about the guy who's the atheist over at Harvard, who's the, the head um, he's the head chaplain. Oh yeah. He's an atheist. It sounds he literally it doesn't sound, believe in God. When you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous, but this is, this is the world. And that's, that, that's the thing. When you deny God's truth as being inerrant, you, you can make up whatever you want. Anything right. you can do, whatever you want. I really think Kevin DeYoung says it best. He says, inerrancy means the word of God always stands over us. And we never stand over the word of God. When we reject inerrancy, we put ourselves in judgment over God's word. We claim the right to determine which parts of God's revelation can be trusted and which cannot. Yep. When we, that's, that's it. Like 
when we deny this doctrine. We're deciding for ourselves what's true, and uh, and we would even say that uh, we're making ourselves our own God. That's I, right. I fully believe that. That that is the issue. When we say, I don't think that that's true anymore, when we're like, um, who was it? Was it Benjamin uh, Franklin who who literally cut parts of the Bible out? Um, it was Jefferson. Jefferson. Thank, I always mix those guys up. <laughs> Jefferson, literally cutting Bible. You, you're saying, I'm God. I'm the arbiter of truth. That's right. It's a scary place to be. Yeah. So even if we uh, affirm this belief, there's one practical point I want to draw out at the end here. Yes. Before, for the Christians, this is for us Christians that are conservative-minded. We believe inerrancy, okay? <laughs> yeah, this is good. We <laughs> affirm this belief in our minds, uh, but do we live it out in practice? You know, because we can say one thing. I can say, I believe God's word is inerrant. I believe it's the truth. I believe it's the word of God. There is no doubt. There's no shadow in my mind that is the word of God. Well, then do I live by that truth? Do I hold it as, as the source of truth and for my life, for godliness in my life? Yeah, that's, this is a silly analogy, but I'm an analogy guy. You know, my dad makes fun of me because Anytime we're out working on something or out working in the shed or something and there's a spider around, I just, I can't do it. And I'll, he'll be like, oh, you're arachnophobic. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not afraid of spiders. I just don't like them a lot. But, <laughs> but I can't, I, I will, I will. I'm not afraid of heights. I just don't want to get really high. I just high. don't want to get up. And that's, <laughs> but, but as soon as you get there, you really prove what you actually, what, yes, what's true. That's right. And that's the point we're making here. And this is, this is key. We can say one thing, but what do we do? If, if we are living unrepentant, sinful lives, then isn't it as if we're denying the truth of God's word? Isn't it as if we're calling God's word er- in error? Yeah. Because yeah. we're not seeking to live our lives. If we truly believe the Bible is God's words, we need to live our orders, uh, live our lives by it. We need to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, order our lives by the word of God. And this is why I think the prayer of, I believe help my unbelief. Mm. That's that. I believe this. Give me more understanding, Lord. Help me, help me really live this out. Help me, help me not just say it, but help me do it. Give me, give me what I need. Give me faith because no, we don't always believe this. We don't always believe the inerrancy of the Bible, but Jesus can, Jesus can change that. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need from him. That's right. So last question, uh, as we close, what does this mean for our families? How do we, what, what do we take yes. away as parents, as as families in the, this? I tell my children, I say, I might get emotional, but, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Mm. And if the Bible is not inerrant, then how do I know that Jesus loves me? How do I, how does my little boys, how do my little boys know that Jesus loves them? Mm-hmm. How do we know that our lives matter at all? You don't. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is true. And so you can know that Jesus loves you and you can tell your children that their lives matter. You can you can raise your children with love and a fear, a healthy respect of the Lord, and they can have a good, good godly lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can have a good godly family, even with all its, you know, crud in it. You know, you can still do that mm-hmm. because the Bible tells you so. Yeah. Yeah, we need to teach our children that God's word can be trusted and we can live our lives by it. We need to let them know 
that we we as parents are fully committed to God's word. Yes. That's not just a it's not just a do what I say, right. don't do what I do mentality. It's yeah. I'm going to live the gospel out. I'm going to live the truth of God's word out in my life so you see it. Yeah. And then I'm going to point you to the word and show you where and why I live that truth out because yes. this is the word of God is my source of truth. And if you will teach that to your children, teach them the word of God is precious, teach them that we need to hold fast to the word of God, then they will live, they will grow living, they will grow up knowing that they have that foundation to fall back on in their lives. Yes. I mean, that's what else do you want for your kids? You know what I mean? Like, I can't give them anything else more solid than this. Right. I can't. Nothing, not a thing I can give them is more solid than this. And so uh, we need to lean into it. With so as Christians, I, I challenge us. You need to you need to make sure you know what you believe about the inerrancy of God's word. There's some really great, we've listed our resources. You can go back and you can listen to them and, and read them. And I really challenge you, make yeah. sure this doctrine is locked down in your mind, because uh, if not, the, the other things can can fall prey to yeah. this this heresy. And we hope that this this podcast is helpful to you. Maybe this is maybe this is what you needed to just think through some of these ideas and be like, "Oh man, I do believe this." And wow, I I was thinking the wrong thing over here and now I realize, you know, why that's a problem. We hope that that's been helpful that's and, right. and you can use that in the way you uh, live out your life with your family. Well, I think we've uh, talked about this very complex topic. Yes. There's tons more we could have talked about. We, like, once again, Too we were much. trying to yeah. boil this down, put some big handles on it. Um, and and really, we're, we're going to be continuing yeah. this conversation as we go. We're talking about the nature of the word in uh, view of the clarity, clarity. of God's yeah. word next week. And uh, I just, I'm looking forward to finishing out this series because it's just so good. I love yeah. this. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This one was the big one. So, you know, hopefully, theoretically, the other episodes won't be quite as in depth, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for listening. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And we'll see you next time. References are old, okay? Old, 80s. A, you know, I'll tell you this. I knew I was getting too old for youth ministry. Well, not that you ever get too old, by the way, but I was getting oh, too old. Oh, oh, okay. Because I would mention like a reference, like I would make a reference to like Dumb and Dumber, the movie. Do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? The Dumb and Dumber. Oh, You've probably yeah. never seen it. Oh my gosh, of course uh, I have. And they would be like, what? Yeah. What is... What, are you what is about? Dumb and Dumber? So I can't talk about like Lord of the Rings or like... Yeah, none of them were born. I know. It was 20 years ago that Lord of the Rings first debuted, right? Wasn't it 2001 how, or how 2003? Is that possible? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. It was around early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. You can't make a reference. Yeah. You feel old. I That's just don't insane. care anymore. I just talk about old stuff and, and I know. like, who cares? Yeah. I have to, I have to explain things to them. Like about like, those things. Back in my day, we had this watch called a swatch. It was called a swatch. <laughs> They're like, okay, Grandpa, let's go take your cool. meds. <laughs> Why did they add an S to the beginning of the word? <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> All right, let's do this.